Matthew chapter 2. I love coming into the, the Christmas season because for me, it's just an exciting opportunity to, for us to come together and remember what, what Christmas is about. It's really easy going through the week to forget, isn't it? Because the whole focus around us is commercialism. <laughs> and uh, we were, uh, it's amazing, one of the young people that we were spending time with had no idea what Christmas was about. No idea that Jesus had anything to do with Christmas. So I really look forward to these times for us to just kind of focus and, uh, and, and then take throughout the... Ooh, was that like bleeping out something I said? <laughs> and then taking that reminder of what Christmas is about with us throughout the week, you know, and being confident and bold about that as we relate to people throughout the week. Um, so, Matthew chapter 2, if you'd want to follow along as I read. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea during the time of Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at kind of a, a series called Where Jesus Called Home. And uh, I love it because we're going to start with Bethlehem and then we're going to look at Nazareth and then Jerusalem and then heaven. Four places that Jesus called home. And the significance of each one of those places and what they, what they tell us about Jesus and, and what is important um, to God. So just before we start this morning, let's pray. Father, we, uh, we can really get our perspective messed up and mixed up. Um, in a, in a world that is so passionately trying to find meaning and hope and, and purpose uh, and significance. Father, I pray that uh, this morning that you would, as we just look at these few verses together, that you would remind us, that you would help us to remember again and, and believe what really makes <laughs> for importance and significance and greatness in our lives as we look at, at Jesus here this morning. In his name, amen. 
What I want us to be thinking about this morning is just a simple question. What makes us great? What makes someone great? What is important? What, where is significance? Where is importance? And I tell you, as I was reflecting on this, it, it was disconcerting to me as I thought about who we consider great in our world today and why we do. Just a few things I thought of. Um, on what, what we label, on how we label people as important. Um, one of the first is powerful politicians, right? Would we consider them often important people? But the amazing thing is so often these powerful politicians that we consider important are corrupt. Uh, one of the most stunning ones that happened, if, if you read Google News like I do, um, over the last couple of weeks was the former two-time prime minister of Italy, Berlusconi, was just by a huge majority in the Italian, um, whatever you call it, um, parliament, thank you, was removed from his seat in parliament, defrocked as a senator, unable to serve anymore in parliament, one of the most powerful people in Italy because of fraud that he has committed and many other things that he's trying to get out of. And now because he no longer has diplomatic immunity, he's going to be having criminal charges filed against him. Powerful politicians. And often despite their corruption and dishonesty. Um, another one I thought, and this is probably for um, especially the younger ones here in the crowd today, platinum recording artists, right? Yeah. Uh, and um, it's incredible to me, as I was thinking of platinum recording artists, a word that, another P word that to me went hand in hand with platinum recording artists often would be profane. <laughs> in the music they produce and, and the lives that they live. Um, I know so this is going to offend some of you who are Rabid Seahawks fans, forgive me. Sports stars. I know, I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, for you that love the Seahawks, um, how many of you noticed that just this last week two of the Seahawks players were put on suspension again for drug abuse? One for the rest of the season, for a whole year. One for four games. And an article I read questioned the Seahawks organization and the repeated suspensions that are happening to sports stars in the Seahawks because of drugs. But, but we look up to them as our heroes. Oscar-winning actors and actresses. Uh, whose lives we look up to and, and, and we, we wish we could be like them. And we, 
billionaire business tycoons whose money is envied by so many of us. And we could go on and on and on. The people whose, whose lives so often we wish, oh, I wish I could be like them, and I wish I could have their fame, and I wish I could have people you know, envy me. And, and, and um, What makes these people what they are? It's us, isn't it? It's us who vote them in. It's us who buy their albums. It's us who pay absurd prices to go watch their games. It's us who, it's us who make them because, and this is the heart of it, before I lose you here, it's us who have a false sense of greatness. And that's what I want us to wrestle with this morning. Us who, who so often, so many of us, it's because we don't understand true greatness and true significance and true importance that we're pursuing ourselves this false sense of what, is, what makes someone great and, and what is really important. I was thinking uh, yesterday as Cindy and I were at a memorial service. Memorial services are great times to, to, to ponder what is important. They really are. Was we were at this memorial service for a, a friend of ours that um, uh, just a sweet lady. What struck me as we listened for probably 45 minutes to, to an hour to her children and grandchildren extolling her. And, and the word that just came, kept coming through as they talked about their mother and their grandmother and their great-grandmother was the word faithful. Just faithful as a mother, faithful as a grandmother. Who, who are the great people in our world today? And, and so I just jotted down. I mean, it's totally contrary to the thinking of our world, but aren't these the great people in our world today? A worn out mom who stays up all night with a sick child soothing their fevered forehead. Isn't that greatness? A hard-working husband and father who might be, let's call him a custodian in, in the building of a billionaire business tycoon, and, and he's a nobody. In the world's eyes, compared to this business tycoon, uh, cleaning toilets in this big office building of some powerful person, but a guy who goes home and spends time with his wife and and plays with his kids, and he's faithful to them. Isn't that greatness? Or the sacrificial school teacher who uses her money to buy supplies for the kids in her class in order to give them the best learning experience possible when the money isn't there. Or, this always amazes me, the minimum wage worker at a fast food restaurant, cheerfully doing their best in the midst of a crazy lunch rush, making tons of money for the owner of the franchise, and, and just making hardly anything, minimum wage, and yet working their hardest and doing their best. Isn't that greatness? 
we've lost a sense of what really makes us great. And um, I'll, I'll just do a little caveat here in case some of you are thinking, man, he's kind of sounding you know, like, kind of like a socialist or something, you know. <laughs> I'm not talking against making good money or being a great actor or having ability to catch a football and, and wow people with your skill. I'm talking about all of the people that do those things and we consider them great irregardless of their character and irregardless of their lives and they can live however they please and do whatever they want and we consider them great. What makes someone great, truly great? Not a, not a contrived greatness, not a fleeting greatness that, that can be gone if the voters vote them out or if the economy tanks or if viewers decide to boycott the, the box office, but true greatness. And maybe the most important question this morning is how can you know that you are significant? Um, and, and again, not a contrived significance that comes from looking in the mirror and saying, Dave, you're, you're great. <laughs> yeah, not a contrived, you know, where I look in the mirror and I say, you are somebody, Dave. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking true greatness. Um, true greatness. How can you know that you are significant? And a lot of us struggle with that, don't we? We struggle with a, in, in the face of the contrived greatness that our world puts before us and, and, and none of us hardly can achieve that. And so we feel inferior and, and we struggle with, with no esteem and we, we struggle with unimportance and, and, and being a class A failure. How can you know that you are significant? And the answer is in, in this story of Bethlehem, this first Christmas sermon, the question is why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Now, the, the, the simple answer could be, well, because that's where he was prophesied to be born. But why was he prophesied to be born there? Why not Jerusalem, the, the religious and political capital of, of Israel? And why was his birth only an event for a few lowly shepherds and some scraggly sheep and, and an, in an in a broken down barn that had been abandoned and then only to be welcomed by an old man who was about ready to die and a, a widow who was on her way out in the temple. What was God's point? What, what is God telling us when we come to Bethlehem and the birth of the Messiah, the God in flesh? come to our earth. What was God telling us? Well, I think God's telling us something about greatness. And if you haven't picked that up yet, that means you've already fallen asleep. Matthew 2, 
1 to 6 and Micah 5 2. We're going to compare Micah, Matthew 2 that we read is the... Um, is quoting Micah 5.2, and we're going to look at the two of these just briefly this morning to, to answer the question of what makes us great. Um, okay, keep your finger in Matthew, because we're going to kind of go back and forth, but, but flip to Micah 5.2, if you would. If you got this Bible, it's page 649. I'm going to read it for you. And then we're going to compare them. Micah 5, 2, it says, You, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So Micah 5, 2 is the actual prophecy. And Matthew 2, 1 to 6 is the, rendi the rendition that the religious leaders gave to Herod when the Magi, these wise men from the east, came with their huge retinue, seeking to worship the king of the Jews, the Messiah. And so Herod comes to the religious leaders. He doesn't have a clue about the Messiah. And he comes to them and says, where is he to be born? And the religious leaders answer in Matthew chapter 2. Number one, the significant difference is this. Notice in Matthew 2, it says, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. You see that? Are by no means least. Look back at Matthew, Micah 5, 2. It says, this is the real prophecy. You, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah. You see the difference? The prophecy says that Bethlehem is small, was small, and it was. It was an insignificant little town in the region of Judea. Unimportant compared to Jerusalem. And yet in Matthew 2, the religious leaders in answer to Herod say that Bethlehem is by no means least. It seems that the religious leaders maybe out of a desire to impress Herod or impress the Magi, are basing the importance of the Messiah upon the place where he was born. And this is what we do today. It's kind of what I just, what I just shared. That greatness is based on someone's name or greatness is based on where someone went to school. Like, I, I went to Harvard I didn't. Or I shop at Target. Yeah. Don't want to admit you shop, shop at Target, right? Yeah. Target. Or I make X number of dollars an hour, you know? And so that makes me great. That makes me important. Or, ah, oh, yeah, I shook hands with. <laughs> Like, wow, that's pretty impressive. You and a hundred other people. And yet we base our greatness on things like the religious leaders base their greatness. And so in an attempt to impress the Magi, they say, 
they, they totally changed the wording in the prophecy from Bethlehem being a no-place town to, to Bethlehem being a someplace town. I mean, other, how could the Messiah be important if he came from an insignificant town? That's what they're saying. That's what they're alluding to. How could he be somebody if he came from a nobody place? Okay, the second thing. Micah 5.2, notice it says, You, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And what do the religious leaders say? Out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They totally take out those two phrases. Why do they do that? Why do they do that? And what they take out is incredible. I want you to see. Notice it says, Bethlehem, from you, this ruler will come whose origins are from of old. He's been here before. This isn't his first time here. He's been here. And, and we could look all throughout the Old Testament. In Genesis 16, 13, we see an, an occurrence where Rahab is face to face with the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, before he was born in Bethlehem, appearing to Rahab as the angel of the Lord. And she says, I, I've seen him face to face, God. We see the same in Genesis chapter 32, where Jacob is wrestling with this angel and and in the middle of it comes to find out that this angel is God himself. And we see it in the story of Gideon and Samson's parents and Abraham and on and on. We see that this baby born in Bethlehem has been here before and we see him throughout the whole Old Testament. And, and that's the impact or the importance of this prophecy is that it's not the importance of Bethlehem, it's the greatness of Bethlehem. It's the greatness of the Messiah. Veiled in flesh, the God had seen. Held the incarnate deity. That this baby born in Bethlehem, who came to this insignificant little backwater town, was God himself. It wasn't about the greatness of Bethlehem. It was about the greatness of the Messiah. And the religious leaders totally missed the point and twisted it around because their perspective is the same perspective of our world today, that what is great and what is important is what has money and what has worldly power and what has worldly influence. And that's what greatness is, and that is not where greatness is. The Messiah is the one who made Bethlehem great, not vice versa. And forgive me, but the only illustration I could think of this was it's kind of like Twilight made Forks great. It wasn't Forks that made Twilight great, right? You get the idea? <laughs> I know, I'm going to regret that one. Okay. <laughs> 
So what is the point? That Jesus, God in the flesh, came to identify with those that the world considered insignificant so that in him, they, we could find significance. It is Jesus who makes great. True greatness comes from God. Not contrived greatness, but true greatness comes from God. How does God make us great? I just want to share two things that are so important that we get as we get this story of Bethlehem and what really makes great. The first thing that makes great, and these are really important truths. You've you got to memorize these. You've got to get them. The first thing that makes us great is creation. And the key word is image. We were created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. We alone of all creation were created in God's image. The mighty, powerful angels, the amazing animals and beasts that wander this earth and swim in our seas and fly in our air. Among everything that God created, we alone were created in his image, in his likeness, to have intimacy of relationship with him, with the sovereign creator God of the universe. Do we get that? That is what makes us great. It's not what people say about us. It's not the money we make. It's not the position we have, because that, that is all, that can all be gone. It can all fade away, but what makes us great is that we are created in the image of God. We're His. And it's why Lucifer, who, whose name we know as the devil, the morning star, one of the archangels, rebelled against God and turned against us because he couldn't stomach the fact that puny, homo sapiens, human beings were created in a special relationship with God, to have intimacy with God that he could know nothing about. Do we know that? Do we know that? How significant we are? That's us. Created in the image of God. And yet we walk around often saying, feeling insignificant and unimportant and inferior, and we are not. We are beings created in the image of God. That's truth number one. But there was a problem, right? Something called sin. Adam and Eve decided that they would do their own thing, and instead of trusting and obeying God, they went their own way. Things fell apart, and, and so our world is in shambles, and, and the image of God in us has become marred, right? And sometimes almost unrecognizable. And as a result, I think that's why we struggle with inferiority and, we, and unimportance and, and, and feeling like failures and insignificant as sin wreaks havoc, havoc in our lives and in our world and, and puts all kinds of wrong perspectives on us about what is important. 
And so we seek after false and futile means of feeling important and significant, don't we? We do. The image of God in us marred by sin. But listen to this. Listen to this. This is one of my favorite verses. I say that about a lot of verses, I guess. Psalm 18.35. And this is leading us to truth number two. Not only are we created in the image of God, Psalm 18.35, it says this about God. The creator, sovereign God of the universe who made us and then we rebelled against him. It says this. It says, he stooped down to make us great. That is incredible. The sovereign God of the universe stooped down to make us great. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, it says, Jesus, being in very nature God, he was God himself, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What makes us great? We've been created in the image of God, creation, and we've been redeemed by that creator, God of the universe. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21, it says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. For God the Father made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. If the first keyword is image, the second keyword is identity. That's what makes us great, our identity. If we understand and we believe in the redemption that is ours in Christ, we have a new identity. That makes us great. Our identity is in Christ. We belong to him. We're his. What does it matter what people say about us? what people regard as important. That is significance. Ponder the good news. To put it in one, kind of one ball, we were made in God's likeness. And though that likeness was marred by sin, Jesus took upon himself that sinful likeness so that we could be restored again to his righteous likeness. Do we get that? That makes us great. It is God who makes us great. Maybe we need to repeat that to ourselves every morning and instead of standing in the mirror like maybe some people would encourage you to do and, and looking in the mirror and and saying, Dave, you're, you're pretty amazing. And I look at that and I say, eh, I know my faults. I know my failures. I know, 
you know, and I could keep doing that until I could convince myself of it. But how much better instead of a contrived greatness, true greatness. Greatness based on truth. It doesn't matter if I have two doctorates or I haven't even got my GED yet. True greatness that doesn't matter if I make minimum wage or I make a millionaire salary. True greatness that, that doesn't matter if I'm an amazing catch and, and could win the Super Bowl or if I all I can catch is a cold. True greatness that doesn't matter if people call me good looking or I scare myself looking in the mirror. True greatness. What matters? What, what makes us great? I am created in the image of God. I am redeemed a new creation in Christ. I'm his. Do you know that this morning? Do you believe that this morning? That's the story of Bethlehem. The sovereign God of the universe choosing to come to a backwater, unimportant town to let us know that importance isn't about the place or the degree or the money or the position or the power that the world has to offer, but it's about who we are. Created in the image of God, <clears throat> redeemed in the likeness of Christ. That's great. And if we believe that, if we believe that, we can go into our worlds, into our workplaces, into our schools with a confidence and a boldness that will make life worth living instead of struggling. God makes me great. I am significant because of who I am in Him. Let's pray. Father, uh, we have been so fooled and so lied to and so deceived by the thinking of the world, trying to squeeze us into its mold about what is important and what is great when it is such a fleeting greatness. Oh, God, open our eyes to who you've made us to be and who you've redeemed us to be in Jesus and help us to to thrive and to live and to walk in that confidence today, tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.